0: Welcome to the podcast that asks the burning question, whatever happened to Mike Scanlan Edition. Today's podcast is sponsored by Bourbon and Toulouse, your slice of New Orleans in Lexington and the Chevy Chase Inn, Lexington Ola's Bar featuring live music and air conditioning. This episode is also brought to you by the novel Overtaken by Ashley O'Callaghan, a page-turning romance novel written by a budding Lexington author and available on Amazon. Last but not least, we are brought to you today by Stuttgart Motors. We hope you never have car travel, but if you do, know where to go. Stuttgart, Main Street, Lexington. All right, without further ado, the subject of today's show is none other than Mike Scanlon, former vice mayor of Lexington and founding partner of Thomas & King Incorporated, with your host, Bill Hilliard.
1: Hey, Mike. It's been since December 20 of 2013 that we sold the Applebee's restaurants you sold the Applebee's restaurants and I was part of the team and and you know that seems like today a long time ago in one sense but actually it feels like yesterday in in a big sense and um, and particularly I remember and I I trust you do too uh, that when we first met we were introduced by Chuck Christian and we sat in the buckets on paint buckets or it might have been pickle buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, in the uh, I forget the name of that restaurant at Lexington at. Uh, at Richmond at, Road. At, at Richmond Road Apple Yeah. Well, not where Appleby's was, but at the original. The, pro- the, the the storefront across the way from where the Appleby's ultimately was, and you you began to tell the story about why you were there and and that you were uh, your main contact in Lexington at the time was the beer vendor, and. I think that uh, it's fair to say that Applebee's became a very good friend of the beer vendors in Lexington and elsewhere. So, anyway, so tell us a little bit about you know what brought you to Lexington, what you were doing in and before you got to Lexington, and uh, maybe a little bit about your
2: partners. I know a lot of it, but yeah, did, everybody yeah, wants you, to. you probably know most of my story better than most people. But, um, came here in uh, 1988, I was thirty three. And um, before that, um, I had worked for a, what, what was then the soon-to-be biggest Applebee's uh, franchisee, Apple South, and um, my job there was to develop the company, build stores, and get the people to run them. Um, and we got to, what, 13 stores, and make a long story short, I decided I'd rather work for myself. And <coughs> my friend Doug Wilson, who I'd been doing business with and been friends with for probably six, seven, eight years before that. um, We combined forces, and a fellow that worked for me in Greenville, Ron Reynolds, um, joined us as a partner. And the three of us um, decided that Lexington, Louisville, and Cincinnati would be the territory we would work. Because Applebee's knew us pretty well by then, (coughs) because we had built so many stores for Apple South. Um, They they let us have a territory, and then we came up here, and then, um, leaving out a lot of details. That are just I was going to say, so why, why Lexington? I, mean, I guess why Lexington? Ron Reynolds was from Lexington. I got you. And it was the center, it was right in between Cincinnati and Louisville, which was the original territory. So that would be a, a good pivot point. And then as we got closer to the deal and into the deal, we gave Louisville back and took um, Dayton and Columbus instead. So it turned out that Lexington was on the south end of it. But Lexington was a whole lot like Greenville. That was where my family was from. And we thought, gee, you know, this is a whole lot like Greenville. And it's right close to everything. Nothing was more than two hours away then. So we just stayed here.
1: So next question. Um, there's no Thomas. And there's no King in that story. So no, tell there. us. Can it, Thomas. Well, maybe besides the fact you're the king, well, but, but yeah, <laughs> forget that, 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 <laughs> that, that being that, said. That was a myth. Um,
2: Tom Root, who was our very first director of operations and wound up um, uh, chief operating officer of the company and shareholder, um, he was the Thomas, according to him, and I was the king. Got now, the, the, the truth of this story is Thomas was my father's first name. And King is just a name. When we were putting the n- name on the um, charter for the company, I literally went through the phone book and figured what's going to look good next to Thomas, because th- th- the belief then was it sh- shouldn't have any one person's name on it. It's going to be a bunch of people work here, so we w- we wanted to have be some generic name where nobody really would pay attention to the name of the company because it was about Applebee's. Hmm. So it was just a it was a placeholder that that stuck for a long time.
1: So. Really and truly, when you first
2: started, what did you expect from an Applebee's restaurant? The the, the, the plan was to build six restaurants and move back to Greenville. That that that, that was the original plan. And when we got here, um, we were hoping if we could do thirty thousand dollars a week, that would be just enormous. That 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 would, that would be more money. That that would be very good volume relative to the stores we had already built as an employee and um, our first store did in the high 30s and then started doing it in the 40s right away and um, instantly profitable. And that that gave us all the seed capital to build six restaurants in the first 18 months, 24 months. And that was was how I got to meet you. We had um, Chuck Christian who was um, an associate at your law firm was doing our liquor license and he, he was a nice man and we were going to close a construction loan and you were going to close you, you were in charge of closing the construction loan and we had some construction difficulties and the city uh, which was my first engagement in local politics <laughs> um, didn't want to help more to the much. story to follow more yeah, to follow yeah, Lots more. So, and, and the story's still moving. my
1: scan of local politics let's discuss <laughs> yeah right and, and i'm
2: still active <laughs> and they still regret it um, the city wouldn't cooperate on a, on get, giving us a permit, so we got you involved because we needed the permit to finish the construction loan, and mm-hmm. the bank got difficult. And I remember you taught me a very important legal phrase during that period. You remember what the, the phrase you taught
1: me? I taught you so many. I don't remember which one. <laughs> that that, that <laughs> is quite
2: <laughs> <true>. <laughs> But they're. they're um, the, the, the bank got obstinate because the city got obstinate. Oh. Nobody was going to move. Okay, now you're in Manhattan. And um, you, you wrote a very carefully, a very well-crafted letter. I guess it was to the bank regarding the city. And you, you were um, remarking that they were exhibiting an unusual amount of testicular fortitude. And I remember I had to call and ask you, <laughs> what is testicular fortitude? And then, then is when I understood you are quite a horseman and been around horses all your life, and testicular fortitude is something required to um, perform the act which horses have to perform to command incredibly large stud fees. So um, I, I was impressed that was my first legal term I learned. From I, don't,
1: I don't think I was thinking about stud fees at the time that I wrote that letter. Well, oh I got but you, Bill. You were thinking about <laughs> stud fees.
2: Yeah, I did get your bill. You were a some stuff. I was riding a high <laughs> That's right. You, yeah, you were. You were on the floors.
1: Because from that humble beginning of sitting on the bucket, I had no idea where Applebee's was headed and where you were headed. in the, and, and the story I we with it. Yeah, right? you, yeah. So, so was there? So, what were? There, was there a particular? I know we've got a lot to cover today because so many people care so much about what you've done and your life is so full of here in Lexington, anyway, so full of adventure.
2: That's the nicest thing. You don't usually tell me I'm full of adventure, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's this a, might be heard <clears> by, <throat> by other people. I don't know what to say. That say. That Mike, you're full of adventure. Yeah, well, And you can, meeting, nice right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can stay in the meeting. That's a nice way of saying it. You can stay
1: in the meeting. So anyway, but quickly, what was uh, what were your biggest challenges? What, what, what was the early, early days like? I mean, I know you grew incredibly fast.
2: It, it was all cash flow management as far as the difficulties real estate was easy to find um, the concept nobody really heard of it and we, we we set records almost every time we opened a restaurant the first 10 anyhow um, and it, w- it was just managing the cash flow because it was not hard to find people that you know the, the restaurant business now <coughs> you can have the best real estate the best concept in the world you, you're just not going to get People, because I really think we all probably built too many restaurants and, and overused the supply of people. But the, the, the um, it was just managing the growing beast, and it was a lot of fun. When you say biggest problem, the, the biggest problem was wonderful. You know, we had it, it was a fun thing to do. It was not. It was stressful just because it was so active. But there there there, there, there were no. there wasn't drama. There wasn't a bunch of horrible stories you know there're lots of <clears throat> funny stories lots of war stories about opening mm-hmm. um, opening a restaurant was always a miracle and always there was always stories in every restaurant that we opened there was always those stories to go with it but you say the biggest problem you know there, there really wasn't, really wasn't a problem per se but that's managing the cash flow was a beast Well,
1: the uh, so the Applebee's 101 on Richmond Road sort of became a, a famous I, I, I think it became a famous landmark really for for the, the the atmosphere that was there and the saloon-like atmosphere and so how what how'd you do it what made you how did you how did you create that once and then and, and extend it on to 10 more restaurants
2: you know or a hundred I mean, later thanks for even thinking we created we, we didn't really create it we just managed it the the, the 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 concept itself um the way the restaurant was designed the way the food was put together and just timing in our culture it was the right thing in the right place. Um, You know, it's, i say, luck is when opportunity and skill meet. You know, we were able to manage it, and we were able to make it grow, but Applebee's had a character and a life and a culture of its own. Um, When you walked in, it felt a certain way, and people acted a certain way. And um, that was back before chain restaurants were so chain-driven and so um, identical. Um, I feel like you're getting on an airplane, you've seen it a million times. Back then it was unique, it was fun. So we, we, we managed the atmosphere, we, we promoted the atmosphere and we grew it, but you know, it, it, it almost created itself. Um, we we, we believed that you lead with a bar, that's where you make friends, and that, that's, um, and that worked. Um, you know, we, we were busy at lunch, we were busy at dinner, we were busy at early happy hour and busy at late happy hour. We had four day parts. That, that's just incredible to, to have been able to do that. So, I, you know, I tell
1: me if I'm right. I recall you one time saying that an Applebee's restaurant was a Burger King kitchen with a, with a bar sitting in front of it. Is that
2: kind of what it Bill, was? Or the founder of Applebee's was a former <coughs> multi-unit supervisor for Burger King. And that is how I got to know him. Uh, well, I didn't get to know him. That's how my boss knew him and I knew him as the founder of Applebee's when we built his first restaurant as a franchisee. Um, I'm going to admit it, I'm 66, and I just lost your question. Well, I mean, <laughs>
1: I think you answered it. <laughs> I, 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 well, I you I answered, answered it because I asked about was it really just the bar sitting in front of a Burger yeah. King kitchen, well, and you just basically the said The kitchen that. was
2: super simple <clears> in the beginning, um, and it was all about keeping the kitchen simple and the bar active. And back then, um, uh, 35% of the business was at the bar. Mm-hmm. And then it worked its way down to 25, and it worked its way down to 20, and the food got bigger and bigger, and the bar got a little bit smaller. You know, I, I think by the time we sold our restaurants, you know, we were doing 14 to 16% at the bar and the rest in food. So um, the, the food took over the bar over time, but you know, that, that was a 20-year period. But in the beginning, it was simple, really, um, shareable food and lots of
1: alcohol I know I know that I was involved in multiple liquor licenses Mm. and um, I know that we always had the trigger point of 25 percent bar sales versus food is when you would flip from a bar restaurant a bar license to a restaurant license so in the early days probably had to fudge a little bit on what those sales we
2: were were pushing it yeah, we, we we were pushing it, and yeah. then ultimately it it, it it leveled out. But back then, the, the, the bar was a great way to get to know somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great way to introduce yourself to a restaurant. You know, just go and have a drink and check it out.
1: So today, if you were opening, if you were sitting on that bucket today in twenty, whatever it's twenty twenty one, and um, and you were going to start your Applebee's restaurants. What do you think would be the different challenges and what would you think about, you know, if you were talking to some young guy who said, I want to open a restaurant and I want to be just as successful as you were, Mr. Scanlon, what should I do? What would you tell that young guy or girl? I don't mean to be
2: gender specific. Wow. I, I, I would tell um, him, her, that um, it, it, it was about the people then. It's about the people now, but back then getting great people was a lot easier than it is now. Um, real estate can still be had, there's still concepts people like, but getting, we had such great people in those early years. We had great people in the end years too, but it, w- it was really a function of the people. Um, you know, g- good food's not hard to come by, good bar's not hard to come by, good real estate's not hard to come by. That getting people you can trust with a restaurant, getting a, getting people that will be nice to the guest and be nice to the employee, and still be able to make the numbers work, that's a unicorn now. You know, back then we were lucky to get good people, and we really had the best of the best. But boy, those the best of the best is a scarce animal right now because there's so many restaurants spread so thin and the labor is so hard to get the good people are just burning out so that if you're starting a new restaurant you had better know where your great people are coming from and don't outbuild your people we could outbuild the people because there were so many of them we could catch up with people you can't catch up with people now well i want
1: to go there i want to go there a lot because i think that was a one of the keys for the success of of you for thompson king but i want to ask you one quick question before the seems like the legal atmosphere today is a whole lot different than it was last year being a lawyer of course I asked things like that. I apologize. But the uh you know the the dry, the liquor laws, the you know, service laws and all these other things are more challenging, I th- at least I perceive
2: they're much more challenging now than they were. Is that do you think that? You know, I, it, it's hard for me to know what to make of it because for the first several years, it really wasn't real contentious, legally. We didn't. But it seemed like the bigger we got, the more of a target we became. And and actually, and rightfully so, the more people expected from us. Um, and the more people expected, the, the the more we wanted to do, and the more of the example we wanted to be. But, you know, it, there, there was lots of contention, you know, once we got to a certain size. Boy, you know, drinking and smoking and, boys and girls together. Um, It's just they were contentious about different things back then. You know, I think the points of the contentiousness is about the same, it's just we're contentious about different things now. Right. Um, But um, that, I I think that's just the way we're going to be. I think once you get to be a certain size, you become a target. You know, um, I own one Tzatziki's now, one nice little restaurant my daughter Amy basically owns it and she runs it. And You know, we don't have any legal issues. It's a a mom and pop restaurant. It's simple to run. There's virtually no, because there's only one restaurant and nobody, uh, there's not a bunch of lawyers with a scope trying to shoot their head off Mm -hmm. uh, and make money. And there's not a bunch of contentious employees saying, well, I'm gonna go to work there and I'm gonna earn my retirement with one argument with the boss. So I, I think it was honestly more about our size. Than than about the times, but that's just from one perspective.
1: So going back to what you said about finding really good people, it always seemed to me that one of the things that you focused most of your attention on was making it fun. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know. So tell me a little bit about how you personally figured that out. I thought that was the idea, and what what was your philosophy of that?
2: Well, the philosophy about the fun was we have to work. None of us um, were working voluntarily. We are all working for a living. And if you have to work, since we have to be here, we might as well have fun with it. You know, we're stuck here, and we're not stuck at the company, but we're stuck in a workplace. So as long as we're here, we, we, we might as well try to have fun with it. Because um, I, I still like having fun. fun. Fun's still a big, big driver for me. So, and you want to surround yourself with people that are generally like-minded um, you, you need their influence and different thinking, but, you know, who wants to work around somebody that doesn't want to have fun? Uh, I think we've all probably done it at one time or another. I had done it, and part of the reason we started our own company is so we could work in a place that we really wanted to work in and, and have an environment that was more fun. Um, so yeah, fun, fun was always a big motivator.
1: And it always seemed like the, the revenues from the restaurants that were so successful enabled you to do special things for, to create that fund. You know,
2: it, One of the things <coughs> I always said is, is if you want to do the right thing, you got to have the money. Because doing the right thing usually involves writing a check one way or the other. Whether it's a wild bus or a 401k or a good pay or a good bonus program, when the company doesn't have money, you can't have as much fun as when you do have money. And doing the right thing gets to only be a wish if you don't have any money. Right. You've got to have money to do the right thing. That, that, that may sound a little skeptical but you know the, the, doing the right thing usually involves having enough money and Applebee's was exactly the right thing to make money.
1: So I would think that the Thomas and King alumni that may listen to this podcast would be thinking you know, there were so many fun things and so many different things you you did. So what what would be the can you rank the two or three most fun things you think you did for those?
2: Oh well, you know, we did so many different things. Um, you know, there were a lot of golfers back in the nineties. <coughs> I was never a good golfer. So the golfers had a ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we, we did the King's Island, we did we did so many different things. It's really hard for me to the fun for me was in the gathering. The fun for me is when everybody was together and doing something. I, anybody that remembers anything knows I can't play golf. If I remember right, I, yeah, you weren't so damn I'm, good golfing myself. I'm a,
1: I, I've got to tell you what, mo, one of my most personally dissatisfying things <laughs> in my life is my complete inability to play golf. And I've been trying hmm. recently. Well, yeah, have yeah I've, I've actually taken you, some golf lessons and bought for more demonstrator clubs and it's, it's, it's really I used to have more hair than I have now and it was, it's just awful, it's just the worst thing I ever did it, it, yeah, I, no, I, thought that
2: I spent more money on golf lessons than I did <coughs> on my college education and, and that yeah. is by no means an exaggeration that is dead level fact and I, I didn't even get bad I never got out of horrible mm. uh, but you, you know, fun was in the gathering. You know, what we were doing wasn't as, you know, I I, I had fun playing golf because I used to love to annoy Tom Root playing golf. Right. So,
1: and he was, well, we all know about Tom Root. He was Mr. Competitive.
2: Wonderful human being, a good guy, but easy to annoy on the golf course and extremely competitive. So since I couldn't compete with him, it was my job to annoy him.
1: Well... We could go down a Tom Root rabbit hole for a long time, and I, I would he, have to think that He was an important part of our he,
2: success. He was something else. Yeah, he he was a he was a, he's probably the best restaurant operator I ever knew. Yeah. Um, an intense fellow, but just like all of us, we all had our own personality. But God, I used to love to annoy him on the golf course. So The you know, idea of fun is playing golf with Sonny Beckley, who was really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I would get on his cart and I would take exploding golf balls. And I would go eyeball <laughs> his ball for him. And I would pick up his ball and drop the exploder. And he was so eager to hit it, he'd never look. And he would hit that thing and it would blow up like a little cheap firecracker. Yeah, yeah. so you know fun. I was
1: there once. <laughs> I, everybody knew it was going to happen. It's <laughs> right. just a matter of when. What, were you going to give him an exploding golf
2: ball? Right. So, so the fun was, <laughs> you know, it wasn't really the activity. It's how you did the activity that was fun. So, yeah. So so I,
1: I want to, because you've triggered a thought for me. So you, I, you know, you and I had lots of conversations about personalities and, and things like that over well, the years. Usually you were getting
2: me out of trouble because of well, mine. All right.
1: But but you, I remember you telling me that you were, I can't remember all the letters, but you were an introvert in mm-hmm. in your analysis of that. And yet... You just got through saying that one of the most fun things that you did, most rewarding things you did, was a gathering of all the folks. I mean, how, how that seems incongruous to me. How does that work?
2: Well, I, 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 that, 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 that a good observation <coughs> and, and very true. Uh, I enjoy being around people. Uh, I don't really love big crowds. Um, the conventions, I loved getting in small groups. But dealing with a big, huge group w- was exhausting for me. Uh, Getting in groups of ten or twelve or six—that that was great sport. Um, so, you know, one-on-one, I enjoy people. Large groups of people, there's so much going on and so much I want to try to do, it just wears me out. And you know, remember Bill Campy the extroverts? Oh, yeah. Extrovert. Oh yeah. He got in front of a hundred people, he came alive. He got in front of fifty people, he was alive. Mm-hmm. Um, get get him one-on-one, he was a lot of fun. But he sure did. His idea of fun and relaxation was going to a party. Right. my idea of fun and relaxation was going out to dinner with another couple right so I, th- that's the difference
1: well Bill was a character too I mean the list of oh. characters from Thomas uh, and King Marcus.
2: is is you
1: know it's long very very long it's, I mean it's, it's endless but yeah. the uh, okay so let's go back to the fun aspect for a minute of it the Christmas parties I mean I, I think that um, I don't really recall ever having attended a, a series of events that were quite like the Thomas and King Christmas parties. I know that...
2: Now, coming from you, that's quite a statement. Well, uh, you know...
1: <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I won't say a so, so you can't see uh, it, but he's turning red. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they were legendary. They, they were, were legendary. Good. And how did, how did you do that? How, how did you... What? I did Tell me about it. that.
2: I didn't do it. Everybody did it. Right. You know, it, it, the, the Christmas parties and the conventions, when we gathered at King's Island or we did golf tournaments, or when we gathered, no one person did it. It was the group assembled, created a certain chemistry, and, that kept, and it was a chemistry of the times. I think it would be hard to, you can't have Christmas parties like that anymore, right? right. But you can still gather and have fun. Right. I mean, there's still different avenues to do it. It, it, it was it was the sum of the pieces, you know, the sum of the people there. Um, I'm just amazed you remember the Christmas
1: well, parties. Well, you know, I have to <laughs> I have to dig deep, and I can't remember that much about them. But I'll, you know, I'll plead the fifth. Poor old so. Bill.
2: Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs>
1: but the, <laughs> but I do remember a few. I, I've got my ideas of some of the favorite moments. But what is your favorite Christmas party and Christmas party
2: moment? Have you got one? No, I really don't. That's like asking you which kid's your favorite. I mean, uh, 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 there were many bad moments at Christmas party. And and probably if it was a bad moment, I can't remember anymore. Well,
1: I recall when you rented out the Kentucky Theater. Yeah. And you decided it would be a good idea for Doug Wilson to ride his Harley
2: down the aisle
1: and which was that, a,
2: that, that was a Christmas I, I remember the event was that a Christmas
1: I, that was a Christmas party yeah. I think it was a, I'm pretty sure it was a Christmas party and he, he
2: rode it into the curtain
1: and he, no he crashed. rode it into the
2: seats well, he, he crashed that thing he crashed cr- so, yeah. <laughs> he
1: crashed it into the second first or second row yeah. of the seats and he got up and said well that's no problem here let's just you know get four people to lift this 700 pound motorcycle out of the front row of the seats of yeah. the Kentucky
2: field." he dressed up like Elvis and he dressed
1: up like yeah. Elvis and it was uh Anyway, I, there was just so many of them, and, and the conventions. I, maybe, maybe you're right, Mike. Maybe the Christmas parties and the conventions are getting a little uh, mixed up in my in the, my well, bra- they, in my hazy brain. Well, so. uh,
2: mine too, because they, they, they were all uh, they were all epic. Um, but lots of relationships made during those things, uh, with vendors. See, I, I just see Marshall sitting in her office right now, smile and listening to this. Remembering all the trouble she didn't get into wow. um, at the Christmas party. Um, Marcelle, how long have you and me been working together? 20, Twenty-eight years. It, it, so the, everybody that's listening, Marcelle and I are still together 28 years later. Um, there she, she, she is still the glue in the yep. range of the outfit. She's yep. just sitting there at her desk listening to this, smiling, going, you yep. lying sack of honey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think uh I, it's been what like twenty one, twelve, thirty three years since we sat on those buckets. Yep. Together. Whew.
2: Thirty yeah, Goodness it'd be thirty three years. It and it, it'll hmm. be just probably thirty three years in August. Um yeah. because yeah, that I was thirty three and I'm who now, so yeah. Um so what
1: when people ask you, what, was, what do you think was the legacy of
2: Thompson King? Do you, did something come to mind right off the bat for it, you? It does now. You know, If you'd asked me you know, right when we sold the stores or 10 years before or then, the answer would be different. But now I think the legacy is some of the deep, deep relationships that got formed. Relationships I don't even know about. People that are friends that I don't get to see anymore. They're still friends among themselves. You know, I see on Facebook people having reunions with each other. You know, people from the early days, you know, being in some place and having dinner. And people that got married. I mean, hell, I, I met my wife here at Thomas & King. Yeah. Um, a lot of us met our spouses at Thomas & King mm-hmm. or as a result of working here, whether it was with a vendor or something. So I think the legacy is, is the relationships that formed and some of the careers that got launched. I, I, I think the legacies of the people, not necessarily in any award or achievement, or you know, there, there was wow and there was this and perfect beer. You know, that, that's just stuff we did. You know, the, the, the real legacy is, is is the people, the relationships. Now, ask me in another ten years, we'll see we'll see what it is. But that that, that that's that, that's the most enduring thing I see from it all. Now. Yeah. And
1: that's a lot. There are a lot of relationships. Oh, there are really a lot. I, I don't know all of them like you. But I, I'm aware of a lot. You're,
2: you're probably aware of more of them because you run the legal department. If you ever see Jonathan Weatherby, I'm sure he can fill you in on the on elements.
1: The well, you know, we'd love to have Jonathan be <laughs> a party to the conversation because he has some secrets as well. But, well, a- any you know.
2: conversation he is in, he's certainly the party.
1: Right. So, um, Well, good. Good. So, tell me. I'm going to switch gears again. Food industry. What do you think? Do oh, you think it's headed in the right direction, the wrong direction? What's? I know COVID has made everything very, very unusual. And I recall, Mike, before we sold the restaurants, that that uh, uh, people we were seeing research that said it was going to be hard to staff restaurants mm-hmm. in five or ten years, even not. You know, without anybody ever dreaming about a pandemic and so is that it are you still involved in the restaurant business
2: no, how much? There's still the tzatzikis in the family and um, yeah, I, I'm certainly it, it have had restaurants all I'm gonna have. Um, it, it, Amy may want to grow that and I'd love to help her do it. Um, you know, So I'm not I'm not as involved as I used to be. I'm still watching and you know it, like all of us, we've all been in it. So when you look at it, you form opinions. Uh, but it, it's hard for me to understand what what's making people excited right now because people are trying not to be dead with COVID mm-hmm. and trying to stay out of arguments with people that they don't see it. this You know, everybody sees this whole thing different. So I, I the 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 course restaurants were in are on three or four years ago has probably been altered dramatically um, by COVID. Just, you know, the, the economics of it. Some companies did really well with PPP P, P, P money. Right. And, um, you know, Tzatziki's <laughs> did particularly well just with sales because just where it is and what it does seemed to cater to us. So some some chains did really well with it and some just got the life clobbered out of them. So the people are migrating. They You know, people have migrated out of one successful concept and don't really have another concept to migrate to and then there's concepts that are you know, what the hell is a ghost kitchen? You know, I'm still trying to, hey Mike, why don't you do some ghost kitchens? What the hell is a ghost kitchen? So, you know, I really have tried to figure out what a ghost kitchen is and everybody I ask and if I visit one they're all different. I don't know what the hell a ghost kitchen is. So when you ask me the most honest answer is I don't know but uh, I, I think anybody that tells you they know, the first thing you know about them is they don't know.
1: Right. Yeah. I just heard about ghost kitchens the other day, so I figured it was just a place that serves invisible
2: food. But who knows? Well, yeah, you know, well, so. yeah, I, yeah. Just when but I think I know <coughs> what one is, then I see something different. So I won't, I won't be doing. I won't be doing any ghost kitchens. I hope. I mean, I hope it doesn't mean a dead restaurant.
1: So before I leave, before we leave, a uh, conversation about all the restaurants. Uh, uh, there was real Bravo. Tell me about Rio Bravo. Your, you know, the top three things that you think about when I mention a Rio Bravo. I've got a few. I've got some goofballs living in a Volkswagen Bug. But
2: yeah, that was a great (laughs) marketing idea, wasn't it? We're gonna go buy a Volkswagen convertible, put it in the lobby of a uh, Rio Bravo's, put four people in it, and say the last one out, you get to own the car two Weeks later, we have two people suing and urinating on each other <laughs> and suing each other trying to get the car. <laughs> who thought that was a good idea? Well,
1: especially when you had a 24 hour camera on them. Oh, god,
2: <laughs> wow! I don't know who that I don't know whose idea that was. I don't know. We all thought it was a good idea at the time. Yeah, well, so. yeah, I, I, yeah. Unfor- I, I unfortunately have to take, take responsibility. I even went out and got the car, yeah. um, you know, we're, Rio, bro. You know, it would. It, it, that was a whole bunch of stuff going on at once. Right. That, that, that was a business tactic with Applebee's because Applebee's owned it. Um, it was a subset of them. So the 10 initial franchisees in Applebee's, we all went out and thought Rio's would be a good idea. And it was a distraction. Um, but just plain flat didn't work. Right. Um, great food. Mm-hmm. And the good news is, at the time, we had enough money to open six of them and close them. And, and survive it. Um, but I, I, I think that was a no-go from the beginning because uh-huh. not one of them survived. Mm-hmm. Not not even five years. But You know, so you live and learn. I, I guess we hadn't heard the expression stay in your lane yet. I, I wish I had heard that expression then.
1: Well, I won't, I won't take up any time talking about the huddle house, but tell me about... I know people <laughs> want to know about the... Uh, uh, unless you want to talk about Huddle House. I, guess, uh,
2: <laughs> I, I, I think you've already said more than we know. <laughs> so, but I know people uh, are interested in creating. In one thing I do project. want to say about Huddle House there were some great people at Thomas and who really worked hard to make that oh, go yeah. and really put themselves out in an effort to make that go. And yeah. um, so, you know, the, the, that may have been a mistake for us to get into. Uh, there, there were a lot of people. You know, people worked that their ass new off. Yeah. Just worked yes. their ass off to make that go right? right. That's that's where you know I get back to. It's about the relationships, not about the things. Right. And uh, what he did, and what other people, um, Norma Cardwell, they just worked their asses off on everybody with that. Did. Right. So I you know I I'm tell a joke about that, but I I, I want to make sure that anybody that worked for that knows how much I respect what they did.
1: Right. Good, good point. And typical of you to think about the people over the events.
2: That was the main thing.
1: Um, Lastly, Carino's. What? What? Tell me. Tell us. A lot of people may not know whatever happened with Carino's. Well,
2: when Thomas and King sold the Applebees, we hung on to the Carino's because nobody would buy them. (laughs) Um, Who said that? and Bill Sims stayed with us and uh, worked his ass off to keep them going. There were three in Indiana and um, um, three here in the, the Lexington ADI. And um, sadly, Bill suddenly died while on vacation with his wife, one of the saddest stories that the company has. And um, we did not have the bench to replace him. So the, the bottom line is we sold all of the stores one, um, three in one batch to um, Carino's the franchisor and then um, ultimately two more um, in Lexington we closed one um, the one in Lexington and the one in Frankfurt are still uh, as matter of fact the three in Indiana are still open the, the one at Lexington Mall did close um, but the, the, the other ones are still alive and performing and the one in Lexington um, we were able to sell back to the franchisor right at the peak of COVID and actually did good on the transaction because that was a good store. Dave Trichler was still the GM Mm -hmm. and a lot of long-time employees there. Um, And Dave did a lot to help run the Carinos as a whole. My daughter Amy did a lot to help manage the Carinos. And we were able to sell the last one just about a year ago.
1: And Dave's not there anymore, right?
2: Dave's not there anymore. Dave is um, um, happily retired. I get to see Dave fairly often um you, you talk about one of the t and kers um you know he had twenty four years i think yeah oh, yeah that, that um, on his very last day worked his ass off right. and has never quit working his ass off and one of t and k's best teachers well do you i know there
1: i know that you know there are lots of t and k folks out in Phoenix that were you know multi unit managers and store managers and and uh Sometimes, you know, I see something about them. I'm not a much of a Facebook guy, um, but I periodically get friend recommendations for some of those mm-hmm. old folks. Do you keep do you keep in touch with any of them at all? Or? You know,
2: I I do uh, Facebook from time to time, and and able to keep up with some folks in Arizona. And um, you know, the the, the I call them the long timers, not the old timers. Right. One more person calls me elderly during COVID because I'm over 60 <laughs> and I'm going to punch it in the head. So the, we're, we're, uh, the, the long-termers, um, it, is, it is fun being able to see how the, the uh, long timers are doing in Phoenix and in, uh, in, in all the cities. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they all look like, a, like they're all doing pretty good. Okay. So I recall, I'm going to
1: switch gears again, um, whether or not you like it. I'm gonna switch gears. Well, that's, that's <laughs> no, I I, I want I remember vividly the day sitting on the fourth floor in, in the Thompson King building that, that you decided said you were gonna run for vice mayor. And and we all we all those of us that knew you fairly well, all looked at you with with you know, with our eyes crossed going i mean my goodness gracious mike why would you put yourself out in the in the line of fire like that but so uh, tell us about that tell us about that decision uh and a little bit about where it led in
2: for you well you know if i had it to do again i would do it again um, but i won't do it again um th- that, that was a there was a little bit of naivete in it I didn't know it would turn into a shit show. Um, the, the newspaper, you know, we, we did some important stuff. We got a smoke-free ordinance done. Right? Uh-huh. We We were able to stop the city from doing some pretty stupid stuff um, and get them to do some important stuff, but it, it did get messy. Um, but we got a lot done. Um, so I'm glad for what we got done. I, I'm real glad for some of the relationships I made. Kinda unhappy with some of the relationships I made. <laughs> As well, cause I, I just didn't realize how nasty politics could get, and uh, I, I thought local politics would be a lot more gentle than they turned out to be. And what I learned is, local politics in any city is probably rougher than um, other politics. Um, so it was it, it was a it was quite an experience. The, the giggle is um, to this very day. I'm still very active. Um, but um, it's more in the back room. Um, I'm dealing more with planning and zoning issues and um, land use policies and, and active at City Hall and active with um, policymakers on trying to make that make sense. But also still pretty well engaged in the election process, trying to encourage people to run or not run or how to um, help defeat people that need to defeat it. But, um, I, have, I have a lot more fun. I'm a, Enjoy being in the back room a whole lot more than b- being the center of attention like that in that arena. Just probably was an unnatural spot, but boy, they got some good stuff done. But yeah, it, it, it must have been difficult to watch. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: yes, yeah, was, I mean, on, really some, on some occasions, uh, you know, it was difficult yeah. to watch. I mean, it was
2: you were a lightning
1: rod for. I, I, I don't I say <laughs> controversy, but it yes, was controversy. Well, if yeah. you're
2: gonna if you're gonna be a change maker you're going to draw lightning. And I want it to be a change maker. I just didn't really know how to build a better lightning rod and, and divert the lightning somewhere else. Uh, but changemakers do create lightning. And, um, you know, but Thomas and King had domestic partner insurance. So it had the availability for domestic partner insurance long before people really gave a damn. And when we learned the city didn't have it, and we spoke up about that. You know, you can't speak up about something like that without drawing lightning. And you can't be the shareholder and a CEO of a big 100 restaurant company that owns bars and come out against secondhand smoke that's killing your employees and not get a lightning bolt. Um, especially so, in Kentucky. Well, yeah, so yeah, especially in a tobacco state, right. like a city like Lexington. Um, you know, um, I had friends that were in the bar business that just could not believe that, that, that I took the position I did. Um, but you know, we had dead-level, cold, undeniable evidence that secondhand smoke was killing other people. We can't make money killing other people. That, it just, and, you know, it, it turned out, you know, it, it, the majority of the people were against the smoking ban, and we got it through. And now it's an 80 20 issue. People would maintain that smoking ban. I mean, if they walk into a restaurant now, even non-even smokers go, man, that's nasty. So it gets messy when you try to do the right thing in a, in a political arena. And, you know, I, I, without getting real political about the moments now, you know, right. doing the right thing in the political arena now is probably a little more scarce than it used to be, but it still will rile people. So, it, it, yeah. When you remember, you know, our, our one of our beliefs was um, just do the right thing and make a responsible profit. Um, you know, just doing the right thing sometimes draws lightning. So, we must have been doing the right thing because well. we drew a lot of lightning. <laughs> wow! Well, and I and I
1: I can recall. I, never, I should have asked you about that earlier. That the mission statement at Thompson King: uh, We're an inclusive team. Uh, wow you know, doing the right thing while making a responsible profit. Yeah. And I remember that when we I remember writing that mission statement and I remember that I was the one that was voting for three paragraphs mm-hmm. and saying, you know, we need a mission statement that talks about all this and all that and, you know, we run restaurants and we hire people and we do all this B S and and you and a couple others said, No, no, we need something very simple and short and sweet and and I, to that that mission statement, to me, once I started living with it, was a, it was just miraculous, really. I mean, it made almost all the decisions that I had in the legal department easy. I mean, not easy to implement, but easy to make.
2: Right. If, you know, if you know who you are and what you stand for, you're going to know what to do. Right. And a lot of us spend most of their time trying to figure out who we are and what we stand for. And then we're going to figure out what we do. You know, just get what you stand for figured out early and, you know, if you have to adjust it over time because time teaches you that, that's good, but you know, the mission statement gave us all something to agree to, you know, that, that, that if you were making a decision, I knew what you were thinking about, and if there were a manager in um, Tucson, Arizona making a decision, we knew what they were thinking about, so it, it gave us all uh, almost more of a common agreement on what, what we're here for, and what are we doing, instead of 5,000 people all going off in a different direction, well we got 5,000 people who at least the leadership is, is, is very much aware of what the mission statement was. Right. And um, most of them agreed with it.
1: Well, it did provide a, a true north. A pretty easy and discernible true north under most circumstances.
2: It, uh, exactly. It, nothing ever works all the time. But that, that worked most of the time.
1: So did you take that, and what about your experience at Thompson King did you take into the city council that you think made you, helped you or hurt
2: you or made you effective or not effective? Anything? Well, we were certainly <coughs> effective. It wasn't elegant. Right. Um, That's a good way to put it. Yeah. We we were effective. We weren't elegant. Right. Um, We got the job done. We got some real important stuff done. Um, And the rules in in, um, municipal government um, are completely different than the rules of business. And it took me a long time to accept that as a fact. I had been told that, I just didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. And, no, just, I just should have gone ahead and believed that there there's a different there's a different belief system and different values. Um, and um, they're not business values, and, and not all of them are good community values. There's a lot of people that have good community values there, but um, the culture's different. So um, some of the stuff we, we learned at Thomas and King when, when I went down there didn't apply so good. Um, being plain spoken didn't <laughs> work. <laughs> didn't go over goods okay. at all. Um, so, um, it, yeah, that, that, that's an interesting question. What did I learn at Thomas and King that I took there that served me well? Mm-hmm. So what, and, and I
1: don't, I think I've asked you this question, I don't know that you answered it, but what made you decide to go into politics? I know I said I was there for the decision, but I don't, what...
2: No. I didn't realize I was getting into politics. I thought I was getting into community service and I thought I was getting into civic duty honest to god I mean I had no idea I was getting into politics I'm not a politician anybody that knows me knows I'm not a real good politician Um, uh, I didn't understand it would be politics at that level it was naive I mean that's the way the world is I just was being naive so you know somebody said what 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 did you get into politics first I "I didn't think I was Mm -hmm. I I thought you know, I thought I was joining the board of an important organization. We we're going to make important decisions and try to make things better. I I, I didn't realize it. it was going to be a shit show at the OK Corral for four years. All right. Well.
1: Did, <laughs> so, are are you think? Do you have any uh, aspirations for more community service?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um. um Absolutely, I'll never be on a ballot for anything, never again, as long as I live. I'm not doing that. Um, I think we all only have a few good years left. I'm not going to waste them being miserable as a, an elected official. But I will all, you know, I'm still involved with big brothers and big sisters and the nonprofits. I'm always going to be involved at some level with helping elected officials get their job done and particularly trying to really. Land use policies are so much more important in our way of life than most people realize. You know, zoning laws affect where a school can go and who gets to go to what school, or who can get a job in what part of town, or where you can shop, or where you can live. You know, know, in Lexington, a teacher, a a teacher on teachers' wages cannot afford an average-priced house. An average-priced house in Lexington is a little over $250,000. A teacher's salary won't buy an average person's house. And that's not market conditions. That's the loss of supply and demand because of over-restricting zoning policies. And policies about land use affect the way we live just as much as human resource policies affect the quality of life for the employees. My wife, Dawn, we literally talking about this last night. Her favorite Thomas and King policy was the no gossip policy mm-hmm. because you never had to worry when you walked into a room if somebody was talking about you or if you did something stupid, you really had a pretty reasonable expectation that wasn't going to get shot through the building in 10 minutes. Those rules affect people's quality of life a whole lot more than how much money you make. And the working conditions really matter. Land use policies are the same way. And, you know All political poli- or government policies are the same way. So yeah, I'm gonna stay involved in that just because I'm interested in them and I'm familiar with them. But no, my name will never be on another ballot. I'm, we, we all only have a few good years left. I'm not gonna squander them doing that.
1: So you did mention your some of your boards. Are you still really active in in the boards and in
2: with, with non-profits? With Big Brothers, I am. And with the um, Keeneland Concourse show, um, I'm still pretty active. And. Um, Chamber of Commerce committees, the, the, focusing on land use and, and public policy and politics, I'm, real active in. So yeah, I still, I don't work 12 hours a day anymore, but I'm still active every day and all that stuff. And, and and there's still real estate stuff. And uh, so yeah, I'm I'm still I'm still working. I'm not working near as much as I used to.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Big Brothers Big Sisters concourse takes me to the question about your car collection
2: yeah cars yeah tell me about it. tell uh, us you know I'm I i do not know how you say this with a straight face but I'm down to three <laughs> fun cars okay um,
1: from a high of
2: oh well say from a post Applebee's hive probably about 20 mm-hmm. I, I had 20 in a, in a nice building I kept them in um, since I've got should I married. ask where
1: the nice building went
2: which one, the first one or the second one? <laughs> the first one? Well, the, the, the first one went as a um, hostage payment for a divorce. Uh, and <laughs> I hate to, but I kind of like to bring up these things. Yeah, because you, you just don't know. Well, you do know exactly what I'm going to say, that's why you throw the bait out there. I knew the <laughs> answer. I just swallowed that whole, you knew, I'd say that too. <laughs>
1: I know. Let's not <laughs> talk about talk about the cars because they were always.
2: Yeah, we're gonna have to talk to the editor. <laughs> and, and, and the editor just said, "No, I'm not editing that." Sure. But he said that. Well, that, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, since, since I've gotten married, um, you know, we I still love the cars and I do I do the cars, um, but we sold the building. and We sold all but three of them, and um, right now, honestly, what what I'm focused on with the cars. Is um, learning how to drive a car on a racetrack. And that, that, that's where my focus is right now. Uh, um, I'm, I'll be at another event in October where you, we, I go spend the weekend on a racetrack with an instructor learning how to drive a Porsche 911 and um, absolutely loving every bit of it.
1: So have you already done it once? I know I've you. done it once.
2: Oh, cool. And um, getting, getting ready to do it again. Um, and w- would hope to do this a half dozen times a year or so. Um, this is on a
1: private track. It's not children' at home. Don't do this on your. Don't try this on your own. Oh, it's no me no, about no, this
2: no, it, it's, car racing. It, it, track. It's on a race car track, um, and you, 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 we we go to different ones. Um, but you have an instructor, and there's rules, and you know you 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 break the rules, you you're, you're out. So um, you, you get to learn how to race cars, but. Um, there's not a whole lot of foolishness because the instructor doesn't want to die right so you know some people do flying lessons I decided I was gonna do race car lessons and That's if I had known how much it's most fun. I've ever had in my life with my clothes on And mm-hmm. if I had known how much fun that was gonna be yeah um, I've I'd, 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 I'd done it sooner
1: well, spare us all the, 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 the well, vision it, it, of you running around in the car with no clothes no, on. No, with my clothes on. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> okay. Now, Bill, well, it's the most spare us the vision. I didn't say of it's of the
2: most fun I have <laughs> with my clothes on. Yeah, sure. Yes, right. I didn't. Okay, it's right. the most fun you're on right. I have. You're on. Right. It really okay. is. That, that is more fun. And, and, and you feel very safe doing it because you've got an instructor behind you and you're on a real racetrack with margins on them. So you're you driving a car that's built to do that. So, yeah, that's a ton of fun. So I'm still working on having fun.
1: Well, there you go. There you go. If you, are you doing it with, with Dawn? Are you, well, yeah. Dri-
2: I mean, I know she's a car
1: enthusiast
2: too. Well, she actually just <coughs> bought a Shelby GT500, and um, for the track, and she's going to go on the next October one, and she she'll be learning on her own. Um, yeah, she, she she's she's liked driving race cars before, and um, actually has more um, experience at it than I do. So um, she's got her car for the track, and I've got my car for the track. <laughs> what a hobby to run into retirement in, right? There you go. Yeah. There wow. you go. What's so, he doing?
1: So what about how about, tell, how about the Concours this year? Was it good?
2: Was it, yeah, it was. I, was it rained out, or what, what was the deal? For people that don't know, a Concours car show is a car show of right around 100 cars that are invited to attend. They're the best of the best of their 100-point cars. Um, we had cars there that were worth $8 million. and really, So th- these are the best of the best cars from the turn of the century all the way up to um, a um, 2021 Corvette with three miles on it. Um, and um, it, is a, it, it takes all year to plan and pull off. And um, there, there's a lot of activity around it. Several thousand people come to the show. It's a lot of fun. And we, we were involved with it as Thomas, Thomas and King sponsors way Back when we all had full head of black hair, and now um, now a volunteer and board member and work on that through the year. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of fun. Boy, you see some cool cars, and you you, you see one of everything. Um, you know everything you've ever seen on TV. You, you may get to come to a concourse show. There, there's probably 30 concourse shows in the country, and this is one of the top five. Really? So we really get some cool cars from all over the country show up.
1: Well, I love Keelan. I'm sure. Oh, what well, the, the venue! A
2: concourse show is all about the cool, wonderful cars on a really beautiful venue. They they, they are charted to be on venues. So the and the Keelan people treat that show really, really well. They are excellent stewards of the property. They're 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 really helpful pulling the show off. So yeah, it rained on and off during the show, and you know the the collector cars like that, um, people get a little squirrely. Mm-hmm. in the rain. But if you don't move them, you just cover them up and you don't run mud and junk underneath them. It turns out okay. So the, the rain cooled the temperature some. So we still had a good crowd because it, it, it sprinkled on
1: and off. I know you competed in it with your cars before. Did you have a favorite car or a most winning car that you ever had? Or?
2: I, I had a 1964 gold Rolls Royce Silver Cloud that um, was, an easy show, it was an easy car to show. But you can only take a car, the same car to that show once every 10 years. Really? So that car got in it twice, early and late. Um, and then I sold it a, a year or two ago. Um, gee, I always had a car there. Um, but the cars I had were barely able to be in a show like that, because they were drivers. Some of these cars, a lot of these cars that come to a Concourse show are just jewelry. They're, they're, they're spotless, they're perfect, they're better than when they came out of the factory. And the, the, the nice thing about the, the learning how to drive on a track or going to concourse shows is most people that fool around in car clubs um, are, are pretty nice folks they're easy to get along with they love their cars we all have something in common so the the, the, the butthead factor is really pretty low so the people are really enjoyable so you, you know it boils down to all down you know right. um, buttheads don't usually collect cars so um, so hang around the people's fun we, again we all have something in common
1: hmm. well um, so as CEO and now you're in, through the city um, leadership roles and all the different things that you've done what what's your you know what's your best and worst what what's you have any regrets about any of that stuff have any, I mean, I,
2: I think every year you get a little wiser. You realize you had regrets you didn't have. You mm-hmm. know, if you'd asked me ten years ago, I'd probably have less regrets than I do now. Probably my behavior in the last ten years has probably been better. Right. You know, I, I, I think time shows you some things that gee, I wish I had done that better. I wish I had done this better. Um, but. Um, Slowing down has been fun. I I thought when I started to slow down, I really wasn't liking this. It took me a little while to get used to it. And the last couple months with COVID having slowed down, I've gotten a lot busier. And I'm kind of going, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I used to be out of the house every morning at 7 a.m. and uh, get home around 7 a.m. You know, hell, I I don't leave the house now until 8.30 and, you know, if I have a meeting, before nine thirty, I'm thinking, "What the hell have I done to myself?" Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm enjoying the slowing down more. You know, and, um, there's grandbabies, and a, 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 a I'm still a newlywed. We haven't been married ten years yet, so we're, mm-hmm. so we're still newlyweds. There so there, there, there's <laughs> traveling, and so th- there's a lot of things to do. So the, you know, the, the, the favorite stuff is is really just being with the people I like. That, it, it, it's funny it, as we've talked today, I'm realizing that's more of a theme than I would have remembered it being a thing, but it's still, you know, hanging around people, I like being you know, driving the car on a racetrack is fun, but hanging around the other drivers in between events is is, is, is even uh, it's almost as much fun. I was just saying, say. But, but, you know, go, going out for dinner and afterwards and hanging around people that do that or driving each other's cars and figuring out what's what and, um, you know, hanging around the policy makers and, and the people who really care about the city, you know, it, it's the favorites being with people I like. So, without
1: getting—I know you keep saying you're active and behind the scenes—without getting too political, what do you think about the leadership of Lexington these days? What what's what do you think is good about the direction? What do you think is needs improvement about the direction? In Lexington?
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, Lexington's—you know—I moved here 33 years ago and. I've stayed here because I like it, I didn't have to stay, I love it here, Uh, um, and plans are to never leave. Um, Having said that, um, I'm just surprised that in a town as sophisticated as Lexington and as well educated um, as Lexington is, the inventory of um, civic leadership is really small. Nobody wants to run for mayor, nobody wants to be mayor because the job sucks. Right. And people running for city council, um, you know, the people that really ought to be running just won't. And we, we have some real good council members now. Um, but the the lack of um, uh, leadership on the bench um, to recruit someone to run for mayor or support someone that you really think would be a good mayor, there's, and, and councilmen, you know, we're looking at the council races. You know, again, we have good councilmen, but we have some that really, don't need to be there, and some that are going to retire, and you know finding people to replace them. So it, it it's a it's a void of long term leadership, uh, which is really surprising. That, you know we can't we, we can't find a candidate for mayor that doesn't that's not some worn out retread. Um, well. that's... Yeah, this podcast you know, won't play. No, I again. don't know about I don't know about well, the worn-out retreads, but let's. But but I know that you supported close. So I can't get in so much trouble.
1: You, you supported, passed um, for mayor, right? Running back. Yeah. When yeah. he was when he was running, I mean, at right. to trust like
2: him with my support, I guess, because he, he he didn't win by a bit of a margin and a, and a wonderful fellow. Done a good job, but you know, <laughs> you, you get who you vote for. And, mm-hmm. and, and the current mayor is very popular. I mean, people no. like the current mayor. So, And she's fundamentally a good person. I, I, I don't agree with a lot of her policies, but I served with her on city council. I mean, she, she was a councilman when I was there. Yeah, I
1: know. I thought you knew her pretty well. Yeah, I liked her.
2: I'm not going to claim to know her well, but well, I've known her long. Yeah. Um, and, and she she's a good person. You'd know, you, you you'd be proud to have her as a neighbor. But, uh, and it's, it's hard to be a mayor during COVID. It, it really is, and, um, but you know, I, I, th- I think we probably need the leadership that sees things a little different than she does.
1: So what's, what are the issues facing Lexington today in the leadership of Lexington that, that weren't there when you were on the council? Are, are they, have you, have you identified
2: some of those? It is the twilight zone. It, it's the same issues. It's, it's all about the haves trying to protect themselves and um, the have-nots trying to get a fair shake. And the people in the middle aren't watching and can't see that. And um, the issues are strikingly identical for when I left office. Really? In, in, in the last couple of years as I've gotten re-engaged, um, the people I'm talking to um, are, are kind of surprised that like, here's the parallel to when I was on council and here's what we're doing now it is the same issues which is which is to me that's a leadership crisis they're fighting the same fights they were fighting when I left well,
1: see, see maybe my memory is bad but well, from, my, from my seat unless I, I
2: did something silly you'll remember
1: uh, right. <laughs> I remember all that but from my seat see, it's, it's a little bit different I mean the homelessness the homeless issue for example I, I don't recall that being Top of mind when when you well, were vice mayor, the
2: number of homeless people are approximately the same. We're just a little more aware of them now. Got it. And so the the issue of homelessness, um, fifteen years ago, um, um, there's just as many homeless people now as right. there were then. Right. Now in Lexington, honestly, to t- tell the truth, there has been some progress uh-huh. in in the sheltering of them and the um, long term uh, homelessness um, ha- has, has improved some. Um, but the, the issues are the same. And, and actually COVID has brought more support for the homeless out. Um, so the, can't really say they're doing better, they're doing differently, they're getting more support. More support. Right, but the, yeah, it's um, the homeless issue in Lexington the, the, the number of homelessness is a, is approximately the same.
1: Hmm. So, Lexington's doing what I think are some cool projects, like the Legacy Trail, um, Town Branch, things like that. What do you... Got any... Well,
2: no, whoops. Yikes! I knew I'd hit a nerve yeah, sooner well, or later. Well, well, town so. <laughs> Branch, I, I, I've got property close yeah. to here that Town Branch is doing an extension on. You know, to me, it's a boondoggle. I mean, it... it it's a um, project without merit. You know, it looks good on paper, it'll be pretty to stare at, but it'll be unused, particularly on Midland Avenue. And, uh, Do you think? Oh, they've, they have have overpromised that project. They're, they say there's a big water feature. There's no water feature. It's a dry creek. Um, well, so I when was you sur- see it, it's gonna be, now, now the Legacy Trail, mm-hmm. you know, it, is great for people that have time off enough to ride a bike 10 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the, the people in the less affluent neighborhoods would sure like to see a quarter of that money spent in their neighborhood improving the park.
1: Right, right.
2: That, that 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 was a project for the haves, and the have-nots are kind of wondering what happened, and the people in the middle that don't use the Legacy Trail don't know anything about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, those are particularly the time branch thing is just my God, you know, it, what a boondoggle, waste of money. Well. So
1: I know you're from Greenville. And I know I've been to Greenville a few times, but I mean Greenville's got projects that sort of like the Town Branch project that they are have all-
2: actual water in them, though.
1: Yeah.
2: You know this this is this is a bunch of gravel that's going to have water running it sometimes when it rains. But they you know, said so, no, they're going to they're going to re, repurpose Town Branch the creek. Or the, the, the the it's not there. That's that's. I I think people are going to be really disappointed when they see it on what it's not versus what we got promised. And you know, I'm watching it get built right in front of property I own. Right. So I'm I'm more familiar with that than I want to be. But um, since this is a private podcast, um, it'll be interesting when it's finished what people say. Right. Um, Because I think. If you go down Vine Street and look at it, you go, back, but where's the walk feature? It's just All they did was take out one lane of traffic and put it in a sidewalk. I,
1: I did that yesterday, to be perfectly honest with you. Yesterday? Or the day before? Yeah, uh, yesterday. Um, and I walked down Vine Street and was walking on the sidewalk, and I said, where's the water going to be? The I said that exact right. thing. Where's the, where's the water? I, you know, and, and uh, so mm-hmm. now you're telling me there ain't no water. Oh, okay I want it
2: rains and, and there'll be a fountain here and there but there's no recreating the town branch that's 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 a boondoggle
1: so um, I got a couple more questions just to, so the uh, 9-11 9-11 is is coming up in a month Got okay. Right. and I was talking to Jonathan the other day, and we were talking about events at Thompson King, and he was saying that he thought that the that your handling of 9/11 at Thompson King was one of the best uh, examples of your leadership that he that he recalls. Do you recall that? Do you? Does it trigger any thoughts for you?
2: Well, it triggers a lot I of mean, thoughts I, for me. I, I'm glad to hear someone thinks we did it well. But you know, there were a lot of us making decisions, not just one person. There were a lot of people making sure. Um, that was um, that was a whole lot more than just history in the making that was tearing mm-hmm. our cultural fabric right right in front of our eyes and I think we all knew when we were watching that evolve that something something's going to change forever I remember thinking it was real important to get my kids out of the dorm rooms in the college area and get them in the house yeah, guys get to the house and I think we all remember stuff like that I think we all remember some of our minority employees that were in stores, mm-hmm. that were getting threatened and treated badly, us rallying around them. But, boy, that wasn't just me making decisions. That that was our culture making decisions. And there were a lot of people making good decisions then. But that that was a sad moment in our culture, but the, the our culture performed well. You know, the people inside the culture performed well. But that was... Um, I, I remember... Um, I was at Huddle House and um, I was cashing out my check, and um, Norma was on the cash register. Really? Um, and she, she, she was filling in for someone who didn't. Hi. And um, said somebody just ran an airplane into towers Powers in, in New York. And I thought it was just some moron in a private plane, you know, did something stupid. And when I got to the office, um, I'd listened to some on the radio, uh oh. And I, we went in the break room and turned it on. And said, "Oh my God, that was how, how the hell did a big airplane get it?" And then I got on the phone with Alan Stein, and because uh, the legends, Applebee's Park had, was fresh and new back then. Right. And you know, we, we had an event coming up. And what are we going to do? And what are you thinking? And he said, "I have no idea what I'm thinking because they're attacking the Pentagon." I went, "What?" And you know, some jetliner just landed. Vinegar, vinegar, yeah. holy mackerel so uh, you know I, I yeah I, I have very vivid memories um, but you know it's funny I don't remember specific decisions we made back then the way the way I put it together is our culture came together and worked the decisions had already been made we knew who we were and we knew what we wanted to do as people so it seems like most of the decisions came naturally you know it wasn't I don't I, I don't think we had to see, huddle as individual executive teams or or teams in the different cities, okay, what are we going to do? Everybody just seemed to know what to do. Sometimes they wanted help on trying to figure out how to do it, but everybody seemed to know that we we needed to stay calm, stay open, and be nice to people. And um, everybody seemed to just migrate there. I don't remember any of us or anybody cracking whips trying to get people to act right, uh, unless some moron came in and, and hassled one of the, one of our people of color, and mm-hmm. I think we each one individually enjoyed pushing buttons to make their life uncomfortable. Well, you'd have to take you have to take
1: some credit for creating or crafting the culture that that it reacted that way. I guess is really what I'm thinking is that. Uh,
2: I, I enjoy what credit I get, but I, I really clearly understand it, 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 everybody did that. That. Um, uh, it, 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 yeah, that, that that was a that was one of those moments. We're glad we had a mission statement. We're glad everybody helped to craft that mission statement because everybody seemed to buy into it. That, that that's when we that was one of the several moments where we all just got together and did the right thing. You know, we, we did this, the same thing happened during one of the wars in the desert. Where you know we, mm-hmm. we I, I I remember the night. I just I don't re, I don't remember which which war it was. Which war? But um, uh, we we had a couple managers. Arab descent that, that were getting threatened. And that's right. Right. It was kind I of a lot of fun screwing with the people that threatened the one. That, yeah, I remember that. Yeah we, we just yeah. We, we just weren't gonna have it. I remember that. uh,
1: uh, well that's another example of, of a TNK and uh, I, I would say I know I know what I'm thinking about when we say that. And I, another T&K graduate that's done gone on to be do great things, mm-hmm. do, do fun things. So, so I'm gonna ask a, a, a question, I think this might be the last question I ask you. So what's the biggest, overall, arching? what's the biggest misconception that people have about Mike Scanlon? I mean, I, I know you very, I think I know you very well <laughs> I and mean, have for do. a long time. <laughs> yeah. and, um, is there anything in particular that
2: you think that it's if you had the chance? Even it's, say? A, it's a one-liner joke I will crack with people, but it, 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 it is fairly serious. That, um, I think some people over the years really questioned how patient I was. You know, that, that, <laughs> oh, really? You know, there you go. See, right? And, you know, my my two-beer reply to that was, or would still be, you know, two beers in me, I'd I, I look back at somebody the questioned my patience and said, if you knew what the hell was really going on in my head, you would think I'm the most patient, restrained human being in the whole world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs>
1: That in my post Thomas and King days, when I have been uh, CEO of a different mm-hmm. adventure, um, I did think back. I did think back mm-hmm. to patience and say, you know what? I, what I'm feeling right now, I think Mike Scanlon felt mm-hmm. on numerous occasions when you're just your head is about to explode and you can't believe somebody just did that or said that. And so,
2: yeah, um, yeah it, it, it it was a. I'm glad I did it. And I was glad to do it. I mean, I, it wasn't. But yeah, you, you've you've done that now. You, right. You've sat in that role. And sometimes you just I can't believe you're saying what you're saying, and I have to sit here, and right. be patient with it. And, and that's a good thing. I mean, that, that's what we got paid for. And, right. and like I say, it's not a complaint. Um, but yeah, the, the, it, it's sometimes it's not exactly what it looks like. Right. Sometimes it's not exactly what it looks like. But. I, I don't want to even leave an impression like it wasn't a lot of fun. Of one. It was well, a great no, job. A, it was the job of the century. That's you know? a, yeah, yeah. I don't
1: want to leave this this podcast on that note because because I think that the overall Thomas and King legacy and your legacy as a leader of that it is just it's it's very unique. It's it's long lasting. It's very meaningful, and it's just it, and it's, it's it's all circulated around good people and good fun. It, yeah, it, it
2: really is. And there was a lot of passion from all of us. Lots of passion, lots of energy. There there was nobody at any level in any city that um, wasn't passionate. Or if they weren't passionate, they didn't stay long. Right. You know, it, it took passion to be here. And sometimes passion class. But sometimes passions have to clash to create a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never been afraid to clash passions. Um, if if you want to be a change maker, you're you're gonna you're gonna have moments that people are gonna scratch your head and say, "What the hell are you doing?" Right. Um, and the the object of the game is to be right more often than you're wrong. The, the object of the game can't be you're never wrong. You just have to be right more often than you're wrong. Right. But it it was an incredible experience. I mean, it really was. And looking back at it, you know, we're, as as you know, we're sitting in the same Thomas King building. Right. Twenty five years later, here we are. Um, so you know, it's an enduring experience, and um, yeah, you know, I, I miss the collaboration and I miss the people and I, I miss the constant passion. I, I, I think I may not be able to take that much energy, twelve hours a day, six days a week. Um, but um, having done it, yeah, it's it, it's it's something I miss doing.
1: Well, it was a spectacular ride, one that you're responsible for, and I know everybody enjoys hearing from you. Hearing about you and hearing what you've been doing since uh, since the time since, since December 20 of 2013.
2: So, just, just so well, appreciate you time listening. Uh, I didn't know what the questions were going to be. Right. right, and right. It, it, so much better. That that that, that this, this was spontaneous mm-hmm. and fun. It's, uh, right, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad we did this, and I'm really hoping these lead to more with a bunch of people, and I'm really hoping it leads to some reunions. Yeah. I, I think it would be fun for all of us to gather. In, in some of the different places we've worked. And uh, it, it would be great um, to see some people again and, and run shoulders. And I hope, I hope people start thinking about that because that, um, when we've got a bunch of these podcasts under our belt and there's a bunch of people participating and I think I, I'm hoping there'll be an appetite for that. I, I certainly would enjoy it.
1: Well, thank you very much, Mike. And Thank you, producers. Thank you, producers. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for joining this episode of Whatever Happened To. Thank you to our guests, Mike Scanlan and Bill Hilliard, for taking time out of their day to join us. Thank you to our incredibly supportive sponsors, Bourbon and Toulouse, Overtaken the Novel by Ashley O'Callaghan, and Stugart Motors. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have any comments, guest ideas, or sponsorship interests, please email us at to at yahoo.com.